The Recruitment Rollercoaster Podcast is brought to you by my good friends at Hunted, the home of recruitment. If you're a recruiter that's currently weighing up your options at the moment and you have no idea what your future looks like, you need to get yourself a profile on Hunted. It's the best place to view opportunities that are exclusive to recruiters like you. You can apply to jobs anonymously and even talk directly with hiring managers. You can filter brands based on what's important to you, and they've even recently included an actively hiring now badge to make it very easy and simple for you to see and find what businesses, what agencies are hiring today. There are hundreds, I'm talking hundreds of companies on Hunted who each have all of their career information in one place and it's so easy to see, uh, use and find out what these companies offer. So rather than going between Google, various company websites, social media accounts and countless LinkedIn profiles, you need to get yourself to hunted.com for the best jobs in recruitment. It's as simple as that. If you're an employer and you're hiring, you want to get in front of some of the best talent in the industry and you listen to this podcast, if you're listening to this ad, then that is you, then I've got a special discount code for you. You can get a huge 25% discount of Hunted's annual subscription by using Rollercoaster25. That is Rollercoaster25. Get yourself to hunter.com forward slash employer. Inquire about making a profile. You need to get on there. And when you do, make sure you use the referral code. And if you're a recruiter, make sure you set yourself up a profile because it is a no-brainer. Get yourself on hunter.com. Enjoy the episode. So the big question is this. How do the best recruiters and recruitment business owners ride the highs and lows of recruitment whilst ensuring they remain at the top? How do they stay consistent? How do they manage their time? How do they cultivate the correct mindset? And what are the best recruiters and recruitment businesses doing differently? These are the questions that all recruiters want to know the answers to. This is the podcast where I have real and honest conversations with some of the most talented recruitment professionals globally to uncover all their secrets. My name's Hisham Azuz. Welcome to the Recruitment Rollercoaster Podcast. Welcome to the Recruitment Rollercoaster Podcast. My name is Hisham Azuz. Today, I'm joined by Adam Richardson, who is the co-founder of Strive Sales, They are a software sales recruitment company that focus on the EMEA market. They're based in Manchester, currently have 10 people in the business and have big plans for the future. Adam, thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me. I'm in, uh, and obviously I know you're in a WeWork, you're in a nice meeting room and I'm in a a nice phone booth cupboard. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, I opted out of the phone booth today because, yeah, it's a the, the weather's quite nice and uh, I didn't fancy sitting there for an hour sweating my back out. So yeah. how, um, how have you found it being, being back in the office? Um, well, me and Harrison pretty much for, for the majority of the lockdown were just coming, coming in the two of us. Me, me sat at home was just getting zero work done and 
Harrison's like an absolute workhorse. So he wasn't happy being in the office on his own. So he dragged me in most days. But we were just doing reduced hours. Um, but a few weeks off to start with and then got straight back in the mix. And yeah, pretty much the two of us have just been trying to graft our way through it. And is it is it been is it busy in the because you're in is it St Peter's Square in Manchester? Is it that one? We're it? in Dalton Place and oh. it's been dead. It's still really? quiet now. There's mad, one one other business on the on the floor at the moment. A lot of people have uh, given notice that we're out of contract. Really? Yeah, quite a few of them. Um, and then I think they're like trying to come back and renegotiate new deals. So um, it's quite quiet. There's there's not many people in the building. Mm. Yeah, because so. I'm in a shared office space in. Um, an office group building and definitely the same super quiet have you got any of those uh screens in the office around desks and that no. <laughs> have you seen them yeah i saw them i, I saw it on linkedin <laughs> put a little cheeky comment but like battery farm for recruiting <laughs> <laughs> yeah they, i don't know I, obviously they're important but i don't know i'm not i'm not sure if i'm a fan <laughs> No, I mean, there's, we, you know, we've got, uh, there's only a small team and some of the guys that are in our team are actually considered as high risk or have got high risk parents. So for the ones that we've come back, we just said, if you want to come in, come in. If you don't, you want to work from home, that's cool. Yeah, cool. Well, look, Adam, where, where I always like to start in this podcast is um, how did Adam Richardson enter the world of recruitment? Let's start there. Yeah, so I think it's like most recruiters, no one sort of, you know, sits down with a career advisor at school and says, you know, let's get into recruitment. Um, I graduated from university and did a business degree. Didn't really enjoy it, to be honest, um, but just, just you know, got on with it and got it finished as, as quickly as I could. And by the time I graduated, Harrison, um, I went to school with Harrison. He was living um, in Beethoven Tower below the Neville brothers, so like third from the top, driving around in this white sports car convertible, earning a, like a load of money. And um, I was like, how have I come out of uni with a load of debt? Last time, you know, you were a bricklayer when I left you. And now he's like living there. So it was recruitment. So that's how I got introduced to recruitment. Um, he introduced me to John and Alex at Liquid. Uh, first time round, they knocked me back. Um, had like three like grueling interviews where they just ripped me to shreds um and and yeah in the end of it they said no so go and get some sales experience and we might consider you so i ended up working in a call center for, for nine months um just literally on a dialer smashing phones out all day so what, and, what was you selling um ppi personal injury claims so like yeah pretty much you know your ambulance chaser kind of roles but it, it you know it gave me a lot of uh, good sales skills to start off with um but yeah, rang, rang them back after three months. They knocked me back again. Rang them back after six months. They knocked me back again. And then John rang me after nine months. Uh, by this point, I'd like I was like top performer in the office, and I was managing a team. Um, and he's like, right, you know, you're ready to come in. So they offered me a job, but it, you know, they had to then give me a higher base and guarantees and stuff. So it probably worked out for the best. Love that. So demonstrating a bit of resilience before we uh, enter the world of recruitment. Yeah. yeah. I don't know why I didn't just apply somewhere else. I, <laughs> like, I just saw Harrison's car and thought, I need a piece of that. So, yeah. And uh, I, to be fair, like Alex and John, they did absolutely rinse me. And I thought, you know what? They're this like, brutal in the interviews, you know, the two guys that I definitely want to work for. And it, and it all worked out in the end. So, mm. so j- just for context for everyone, so Harrison is now your. Obviously, that's obviously a long-lasting relationship, but he's your um, the person that you started Strive Sales with, right? Just for context yeah. for people listening. And then John and Alex are actually uh, the um, two chaps that are actually um, obviously involved in your business as well. Um, yeah, so, so 
me and Harrison, we went to school together. We, we pretty much worked together our entire career. Um, so we worked together with, with Liquid, with A, uh, with A to Z. Um, he came, he was involved with Insight, helped massively with, from a BD perspective and then also from an internal recruitment perspective. And then when we started Strive as its own brand, that was very much Harrison's focus, um, to which I've sort of later, later parted ways with Insight to focus 100% on Strive. So I've pretty much, I've known him since I was 10. We're born a day apart. I'm definitely his mum's favourite son. Um, <laughs> And then, yeah, Alex and John, you know, they gave me my first shot in recruitment, same with Harrison. They took Harrison on when he was 17. He offered to work for free. Um, and then, uh, and then, yeah, 10, 10 years later, they've, um, they're now like investors in the business, directors, and uh, are helping us sort of scale the business with plans to take it internationally. Yeah, what, what is, that's such an interest, like how it's all sort of come full circle. I think it's super interesting. And, we're going to dive into that. But just quickly, as we're talking about it, how much has it helped? How much has it helped being in business with someone that no doubt you have a lot of trust in? Um, so trust, yeah, it helps. Um, you know, I've been quite fortunate in my career. I've, I've, I've always worked with like, like great people. Harrison being one of them. Sean was great. He was always, you know, I never had any doubt of trust with Sean. Um, but yes, with, with Harrison in particular, you know, I know he's there for the highs and when, when things have gone horribly wrong, he's still sort of stayed true to himself and, and been there by my side. But I think having that relationship when you've been mates with someone, you know, we used to wag school together. Um, that also means that, you know, it comes with its, uh, it, its flaws. So we bicker like a married couple. <laughs> um, but I know he's, he's got my best interests at heart and, and so have I. No, I love that. So let's talk a bit about liquid personnel. So saw saw the Harrison's flashy car, wanted a piece of that. How how always interested? Like, what what was your recruitment experience like then at, at Liquid overall? Like, did you was it tough? Did you did you smash it straight away? What what was the the journey? Because how long was you at Liquid? About about two years or so. Yeah. My, my, my experience at Liquid was great. I learned a lot. Um, John was. John was more sort of behind the scenes operational. Alex was very much the, you know, the guy on the sales floor, the sales leader. He was the one that trained me and um, sort of taught me, taught me the ropes, so to speak. So from a learning perspective, I learned a lot. Um, I had a lot of success quite quickly at Liquid. Um, you know, I, I was doing deals within, I think, month three um, and then just really pushed on from there. And, um, I, you know, I think just before I left, the, how I left Liquid was, was quite bizarre because I came off the back of three record months. I did a six placement month, all new placements, nine placement month, all new placements, and then a 13, which was the record at the time. I don't was know this contracts or purpose? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, contracts. I don't know if it is now. Um, I got a promotion on the Monday, spent pretty much all day with my manager at the time, Dave and Alex, sort of business planning, talking about my future and the next steps and growing this, growing my desk even more. Met for lunch with Harrison on the Tuesday and then quit on the Friday. <laughs> <laughs> so Alex and Dave were fuming. Um, like, yeah, they, they weren't happy. Um, yeah. Uh, so. So, so just quickly on on that, and we'll, and then we'll talk about um, you leaving and and stuff. Um, obviously, from what I from the context I had from Liquid, was it was that healthcare or was it? It was social, social work. Social work. They, they branched off into into a lot more sort of broader across their sort of healthcare 
uh, spectrum. Mm. But at the time, it was just 100% contract social work. I looked after the Southwest. So yeah. from uh, Gloucestershire to Hampshire over to Cornwall um, and just focused on anything social work, so child protection and, and adult social care as well. How big was the business by the time you left? When I left, we so when I started, we were above a takeaway on Princess Street. I think there was about 15 consultants, 20 consultants. Um, and it was still like a bit of a boiler room. And, you know, it was great. And then we moved down the road to another, like, it was like the first proper office that, yeah. that they had. Um, and I think it was only in there a few months and then I left. So I think when I left, it was probably about, including all the, the, the business support back off team, back office team, probably about 40 people. Okay. So just quick one before we move on, why, why was it that Adam set records compared to others? Like why, why, why did you, why did you achieve that? Um, I wouldn't profess to have been like, you know, some God's gift to recruitment because there was people in there that are out billing me. Um, I was, I was up there. Um, I think I had a, a bit of fluke, bit of luck. Um, but the operation they had at Liquid enabled you to be really successful. Um, the business support team was amazing. So I didn't have to do anything that didn't involve selling. Um, we had our own like uh, like personal business support for each team. Um, girl called Helen, she pretty much did all, all of like my admin and anything that wasn't phone-based or selling um, she did for us, which was great, which just allowed me to just spend all day on the phone and you know do, do my job so I think it was at the time I was very young driven money hungry um, you know Alex could easily tap into what my drivers were um, and I was really competitive um, I just when I started I just there, there was a guy that when I got known they offered another guy and I, when I joined I was like who was it that you gave the job so he was like the first target and I just picked up the consultants one by one um, and that, that was it. So I was really, really, really competitive. And I was a cocky little shit at the time. Um, so I think, yeah, a bit of, you know, drive, very driven, competitive. But I think the infrastructure that they had there allowed people to go in and focus on what they enjoy. Um, so which, they gave you the platform and tools. Yeah, absolutely. So okay. I think there's um, a bit of in product, product of my environment a little bit. Um, and then also just... I think, yeah, my natural competitive nature. I've got a very competitive and entrepreneurial group of friends, so we're always trying to outdo each other. So that I think that helped. What was the best piece of advice you received in those two years? Ooh, um, advice. Struggle to think about advice. I think that that to sort of twist your question in terms of influence and person that really like helped and mentored me it was yeah it was it was Alex I mean I was quite fortunate my my manager at the time my team manager he was the top biller in the office so like in terms of setting an example he worked his ass off he was first in last out every day we had a great relationship um so I had that as an example to be working towards and then Alex was just he was relentless um and he didn't accept any form of mediocrity so um yeah I mean the first six months of my job I was just constantly in fear of losing it like I joined I bought bought my first house like a few months in I was like Alex I've just bought a house like am I going to pass my probation and he wouldn't tell me till the day till six months in bearing in mind I'd like done everything he'd asked me to so he always kept me on my toes um but it was yeah I think 
in terms of advice, I, I probably couldn't put my finger on something, but in terms of like having role models, mentors, and people that really set the example, Liquid was full of them. There was there, there was no one in there that what didn't deserve a seat at the table. Yeah, so the standards are really high and uh, always encourage you to be the best version of yourself and, and nothing less. Yeah. Love that. When I joined, there was like a bit of a change of guard. There was like people that had been there for a few years and like as I joined, a few of them left. So like even like people that had been there from day one started to leave and like the new new sort of fresh blood started to, to, to come through. Um, so yeah, everyone in there was 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 doing well. There was no one blanking any months. Everyone was hitting and smashing the targets. Pretty much every month for the first few years was like a record-breaking month for us in terms of revenue, new deals written up. So it was a great environment. Um, so really okay. enjoyed it. So then you left on the Friday. You and Harrison. Yeah. Harrison obviously yeah. sold you the dream. <laughs> you know what? Uh, it, what, what? We went for lunch. We went for lunch, and he took me to his office. And um, he'd gone to like typical Harrison. He got like the swankiest office in Chancery Place. We were like rubbing shoulders a lot. So, so he's, like, he'd but, left Liquid by this point, right? He, he'd left, yeah. And like, we're, you know, with all these like corporate lawyers, and I was like, <laughs> "What the fuck are you doing in here, mate? <laughs> on your own?" <laughs> so that was it, and it was bizarre because, yeah. I went and I was speaking to my girlfriend at the time. I had this like weird dream on my teeth had fallen out the night before, which apparently means like you're worrying about money. And I just, my, my, I didn't think about it too much. I just thought, well, I'm young enough. I'm not married. I don't have any kids. I bought my first house. And the worst that can happen is I lose my house and have to move back into my dad's spare room. So I can deal with that at 22. Not 23. So, <laughs> so, so let's just frame it up. So let's so, so join Harrison on his endeavors. What so? What did you? What what is it that you and Harrison did? Because it was what like two to three years, was it? Something like that. Yeah. So, as I mentioned before, I got into recruitment. I worked in a call center. One of the things that I did really well at in the call center was the, the um, accident management. So, if anyone had had an accident, I was like really good at getting you know getting the claims and getting the hires and getting all that sorted out. So. Harrison had been introduced to someone who could basically connect us to that network. And I knew how to, I knew the pitch and I knew how to sell it. So I joined and we started off doing your RTA claims and then PPI claims and then debt management. And then the business really took off when we got introduced to a developer. Um, Random as anything, some like hippie based in Australia had built this credit brokering platform which allows someone to go on a website, apply for a loan, and rather than have to apply for a loan for like 10 different banks, they just did one with us, and we'd ping them off to, say, 20 lenders. As soon as they got a loan, we got commission. And it, it there was no phones involved. It was all online. And like at a click of a button, you could just increase and decrease the, the amount of applications you got. So we got... Um, we, we invested quite a bit of money into that platform with a developer we'd never met, um, and yeah, that's when the business really started to to sort of take off in terms of like the, the money that we were making at the time. Okay. Was that all ethical? Yeah, yeah. yeah. All um, all like fully regulated. So like the two pretty young lads, we were regulated by the MOJ, the uh, FCA, all, yeah. all of them. All it the has that like, stigma, doesn't it? Just like all that. Yeah, yeah. So that that was, I think it was, because we, we had all of the licenses and regulation, that's actually what led to us selling the business. Okay, so that's, so that's how then that journey sort of ended as you exited that or sold it. Yeah, so 
we um we were one of the first brokers in the country to get the full fca license it was quite a long process we we invested a lot of money into a compliance company to help us get it and when we got it a lot of other companies were struggling uh, to get the license which meant they wouldn't have been able to trade past a certain point so as soon as we got the license pretty much all the big boys wanted to just buy the company so that they had the license so they could trade so um sort of back end of 2014 early 2015 we sold it to one of the big players in the brokerage market and how long did that take you to do how long did you do that for what the sale yeah the, no yeah no how long did it how long did you have that business for sorry 2012 to 2015. Okay. So just a quick one, and then we can get back to recruitment. Like, as you said, Adam, 20, 22 years old, got a house, girlfriend, nothing to lose. Where did this sort of, I guess, where did this sort of fearlessness come from? In terms of... Huh? Fearless or stupidity? Um, yeah, I don't know. either because, like, no doubt you you and Harrison would be like, "What the fuck are we doing here? We have no idea what yeah. we're doing. We're winging it. You're yeah. making money. You're not making money. You're learning. You're investing. Like, where where did that come from? Do you think? Like, how how did you navigate through that? Just yeah, how why was you so willing to take risks and be fearless? I don't know. I, I think I'm either easily led by Harrison or there's something else going on. <laughs> no, I mean, uh, you know. My, my my dad's always like uh, been employed, always worked for someone. Whereas my mum has been more of the entrepreneurial person. She's worked for herself since she was like sixteen. So um, I don't know. Just saw my mum always like you know just not well, yeah winging it all of her career, and she, you know she did a good job of me and my brother and my sister. So maybe it came from that. Um, but yeah, I'm pretty driven, money motivated. You know, I've always wanted more and more. And I also get quite, I get bored quite easily doing the same thing. So I, I know when I left Liquid, even though I was still on that like upwards curve, there was days where I started to get a bit bored doing the same thing. I always need to sort of challenge myself, which is a good thing, but it's also quite a, a bit of a downfall with myself. Sometimes, you know, start something and struggle, to not always finish it. Always looking for the next always, thing, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, which is... I suppose one of the one of the the reasons why I've had success, but also why some things haven't worked out. Trying to sort of do too much, but mm-hmm. I think in, over the years I've learned to say no. <laughs> so then, obviously, enter the the world of recruitment again, right? So as you know, I had Sean on the podcast. So obviously, so just to frame up for everyone, yeah. um, so involved in Insight for a couple of years, and then obviously, then as you said, then focused on Strive Sales. Just to help me out, what what was the time frame of that? Just it just get helps with context. So was involved a lot more with Insight for how long before Strive? Yeah, yeah. So um, me and Sean, we've been friends for years. He used to DJ at Sankey's. So everyone always asks, how did you meet? And expecting like some you know big grand career. You know, we used to dominate as S three. Like no, he used to DJ at Sankey's when I was at uni. I was good friends with his brother. Um, and I think we'd had that many sort of drunken chats about setting up a recruitment company that it just it eventually ended up happening. So um, we got together like back end of 2015 and set up Insight. Um, Sean was leaving S3. He'd been there for like 15 years um, and they'd had a bit of a restructuring. And, you know, one reason or another, he took that as an opportunity to leave. So set up Insight from day one. Sean did perm. I did contracts. Um and then, yeah, I was there for four years, uh, left in October last year, officially. Um, 
after four years. So from two of us in my old office in Stockport, where I had A to Z, um, to I think it was about 35, 40 full-time people when we uh, when I left. So let's definitely, um, let's just talk about that for a second then. How, what for you personally then, what was that, how did you deal with and cope with that transition of going from selling what you was to contract recruitment in tech, right? Yeah. How, how, uh, how did you manage that? It was a shock to the system. You know, I'd, I'd, I'd not recruited for four years. I'd not, um, I'd never recruited IT. I dealt with developers because we had developers that did all the loan brokerage platform. So I had an understanding of developers. I didn't understand tech, so to speak, but um, just, yeah, we, we spent a few weeks just getting everything in order, CRMs, the BIP company website, all that lot. And then when Sean got back from Barbados, he'd been away with his, with his wife and his kids for a few weeks. We just got on the phones. He'd give us a... Um, He'd give me like a, a job spec that we pulled on off one of the job boards and said, right, start speaking to some people about that job. Um, and there was a few, if I think about how I, how I sort of learned about the tech, like once you know how to recruit, you know how to recruit. Yeah. Um, it's like riding a bike. But how I learned the market, there was there was a couple of candidates very early on that I got quite pally with that lived near, near to me. And I just, yeah, just, was like a sponge and if I, if I if I came up against anything I didn't understand I'd just ring them and I really? was always honest with them yeah um and I Love think that. yeah they just said listen I'm new to this market this is what I'm about you know can you help me and and they were always like they'd always take the time to to help me out I think a lot of people underestimate how you like that you can do that do you know what I mean because I think sometimes people can make the assumption or worry that are oh, they going to think I'm not competent or they're not going to, do you know what I mean? So I think people yeah. sometimes underestimate sort of how willing people are to help and how much knowledge you can actually soak up from people. Most people like to help. The ones that don't, you know, you're always going to get those people, but most people like the feeling of being more knowledgeable about something and being able to help. So yeah, I think it's a powerful word. You pick up the phone, I need your help. You know, it takes a certain kind of person to say, no, Sodji, you're on your own. So what, how I'd like to just break this down a bit before we go on to Strive is um, j- just the sort of beginning part of Insight. Obviously, I have a bit of context because I've sat down with Sean a while ago, but a lot of people listen to this podcast who maybe long term might be thinking about starting their own recruitment business or early on at the moment. What happened in that first year that you didn't expect? Um. We grew quickly. We filled jobs. <laughs> <laughs> we moved into like amazing office space. We had a, like one of the, one of the, the best things of the first year was like the group of people that we actually ended up like with as our like founding team. We're all like just great people. I love going to work with them every day. Um, I got on with every single one of them. I respected them all so much. Like the first to beat the trip that we did with the guys was just like that was staying okay. with me for life. Um, I think one of the like defining moments of, of the business, um, which really was like quite a big turning point, was when we did our first event. Because we, Sean was obviously always big into his events. You know, he had his own night at Sankey's, and he, he, that was like his thing. So when when we started looking at doing the events, it was definitely something that was playing to our strengths. Um, and the first one that we did at Seven Brothers, 
was just like without blowing our own trumpets we just we smashed it for our first considering we're a new agency um you know we've not been going that long we you know i think there's about 80 90 people that turned up the panel were amazing no one had really been doing that in manchester um at that time you know we were one of the first to sort of do to do one of these kind of events um and off the back of the event we did loads of business you know record breaking fee off the back of one of the events um new clients signed some great relationships and i think that really sort of accelerated putting us on the map um in manchester because you know let's be frank there's there's a lot of you know tech recruitment oh. companies in manchester um but that that was a real turning point and then from then on just pushing on with Push the events and it, yeah, it was a real door opener for us. Yeah, um, yeah I know Sean forward. spoke a lot about that. And and I yeah. think, j- just a quick one on that, I'd love to get your perspective of this, Adam, and then let me ask you one or two more things and we're going to strive. Like, you know when you say business, big, big fee off the back of it or whatever, like a lot of people listening or a lot of recruiters' perceptions will be how. How can hosting or running an event make me money? So like, like, I mean, I obviously have my opinion, sort of the know-how from the conversations that I have, but like, when you say that, like, how did that happen? Is it because you're able to call people and say, hey, got this event, start a relationship? Is it because at the event, you then got someone's business card? I don't know, what, like, how did that actually generate, because we're talking marketing and return on investment here. So like, how did that actually happen? So, so let's be frank, it's, it's relevant now more than ever. If you're just going out there trying to make placements in this market and not trying to think about how you can add value to clients and candidates that doesn't involve you making an immediate placement, you, you, you're going to struggle. There's going to be people out there that are going to sort of really start to accelerate. So let's be frank, the whole purpose of the, the event was to market our brands, to build relationships with clients and candidates that would result in fees. But how we did it is, we are we positioned it as we were we were giving clients a platform to promote themselves and their brand and giving candidates an opportunity to meet with companies that they may not have been able to get a foot in the door just off the back of their cv or you know that that was the sort of the pitch the placement that we did off the back of the first event was it was planned out one of my clients wanted to leave so i said well we're hosting this event Let's get your name out in Manchester. And off the back of it, someone in the crowd said, I want to meet him. I want to hire him. So it, it worked a treat. But the, the whole thought process and how we pitched it to our clients was we're giving back to the community. We're creating a platform for businesses to promote their brand into the local community um, and talk about what they're doing and, and, and how you know they're a great place to work and an exciting place to work. And giving candidates an opportunity to meet with companies without any sort of formality of an interview or having to send their CV. Um, and that, that was it. So trying to do something for nothing, which in the long term always, always benefited us. Yeah, no, I like that. Okay. And why that's relevant now is if, if you're just trying to go after fees now in this market and not trying to think about how can I add value to this client and get offer them something that they need right now that's going to help them in their business, you're not going to build new relationships and the relationships that you've got are probably going to start to see through that it's that value-based relationship that you've been talking about is really just purely transactional. Mm. And I think from the conversations I've been having, I think what sort of to link it back to the event and stuff, I think 
sometimes what recruiters forget is that the actual value like which is really significant that you bring to the table is actually being able to connect people and that doesn't always mean for a fee right like what you've done there and you can this is a big part of what's been going on now loads of webinars live events these types of things and that's because as a recruiter what you're going to be way more knowledgeable than any client or candidate is is the market and sort of how one business is dealing with things compared to another and i think sometimes recruiters forget that the one of the great pieces of value that you bring is actually being able to um bring people that are having similar challenges or thinking about certain things to actually hear or learn or speak to other people that are in the same boat and being able to sort of connect those people connect the dots and enable your clients to learn from other hiring managers that are experiencing the same thing is really useful yeah um, did a lot during the, the lockdown um we put a load of round table like webinar events on people doing the same job in different businesses no agenda an hour call and just let them talk and it, and the just sitting there as a sort of a as a someone taking part listening to the conversations the challenges that they've got we've then been able off the back of that to think about how we adjust our value proposition Mm, exactly and of the events that we did at insight like we knew of placements that had gone on behind the scenes that you know we didn't make a fee off um but where we got the value is you know how they met was at an insight event and when they were looking to recruit oh it was that event that we went to that was great oh it was insight we'll give them a call mm. so you started to get in inbound calls off the back of them love that so a couple of things the first thing always get questions from people around at, at recruitment business owner questions around hiring. Yeah. So just quickly, when you was in Stockport. Yeah. Just you like in obviously your old office, fan and guys, what, what was the sell? Because a lot of people I've had a lot of messages where when you're early on, on that recruitment business journey, sometimes you can fall into the trap of being like, why would they want to work? Like, why would they want to join us? Or there's so many other bigger companies that they could join, etc. Like, I don't know. What was the story that you told these people early on? I think more and more people now aren't as impressed by the huge, you know, bright lights of a large corporate. They want to feel like they're part of a journey, um, and that was that was always the sell. Getting now and be part of the journey. The opportunities are endless. Um, you know, feel like part of something. Um, accelerate your career in terms of you know start now in 12 months time you might be managing your own team because these are our plans to grow and where you see yourself fitting in with the um, with our growth we were also quite fortunate that you know I'd employed a load of people from, from A to Z Sean had a huge network you know we've been at S3 for 15 years and anyone in IT recruitment or in recruitment they know who S3 is they probably work there work to one of the brands or know someone who has so we're really fortunate that um you know we had a huge network from that and both me and Sean being from Manchester as well and we had a we had a sort of network to tap into straight away so you know a lot of people knew of us um my success from my career Sean's success at S3 that you know there was two sort of proven credible people at the front of it all um and yeah we, we just tried to get people that were engaged and bought into our vision and um, because the you know the reality is we, we were in a in an office a regis office in stockport you know it was a nice office and it served its purpose but it wasn't anything compared to what what you see now in in manchester with all the we work spaces and 
some of the recruitment businesses have got you know amazing amazing places to uh, of work but i think most importantly if they're bought into the leaders and the vision and see themselves as part of something that that's it um you know some of the guys that work for us have gone off to set their own own companies up and you know they're, they're going through that same now but i think if if they're bought into what you what you want to achieve and you i don't think it really matters where you yeah. are or yeah yeah i love that so strive then yeah back teaming up with harrison yeah so just a bit of context so how long has strive been going now so if i think now started off officially back end of 2017 and uh, we started trading thinking in january 2018 but when we started off it uh, harrison was focusing more on um like entry-level salespeople um more like rep to rec and uh, getting entry-level salespeople into sales roles um but yeah early early, early 2018 i think he started when we officially started trading so started there, but and then it evolved into tech sales. Yeah, so how it came about, two of our clients from Insight, we'd been placing developers. They said, you know, you find us the techies. Can you find us someone to go out and sell? So one of my big clients um, in Huddersfield gave us a sales director role. Um, and then another client of ours in Manchester uh, gave us a another sort of senior sales role. And rather than dilute what insight was from a like a technical recruitment business, we gave it to Harrison and it, he, he smashed both the roles in about three weeks. And both the fees for those two role, roles are like much higher than any of the fees we've done on Strive or um, the majority of them on Insight. And that sort of opened his eyes to think, right, you know what, I need to move up the food chain. Um, and then he just he started going after your more senior enterprise sales roles. And that was it. Once he got a taste for it. And you know, knew he could deliver. Um, he did that, and he in the, in the six months that he, he did the enterprise stuff, he outbuilt all the perm billers on on Insight. Really? In yeah. So that was it. Then he turned his nose up at the. Uh, at the <laughs> <laughs> and 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 just uh, and then what was your position then, Adam? In in Insight, was it like was you was you still on the tools? Was it like I don't know? Just just to help me out, what was you doing? Yeah, I pretty much stayed hands-on like most of it because i did contracts a lot of the bd was like started off with me booting the doors down trying to win contract jobs and if i didn't win a contract job i'd pass it over to lee who had up the perm stuff and he'd deliver all the perm stuff so a lot of the clients um i was involved in somewhere or another particularly all of our key accounts so i was always very hands-on towards the end i, I did i did, didn't do any much resourcing i'd the clients would bring me with the jobs and I'd pass them to some of the contract team who would deliver to them. Um, but towards the end, we um, we really started ramping up recruitment and I focused on on training them. So we, we, we started the Insight Academy um, and then for the last sort of few months or so, I was very much focusing on training and developing people that, that joined us. Um, so yeah, towards the end, less hands-on from a resourcing perspective, still involved with clients. We do a lot of client meetings, but very much focused on trying to get people upskilled. Okay, cool. So then so then you went full-time on Strive from October last year, you said, yeah? Yeah, so I, I, um, I took a bit of time off with, uh, with, with Insight, took a couple of months off, went sort of traveling, went around Europe and a bit of time in Ibiza, Mallorca, Barcelona and enjoyed myself for a little bit and then came back in May 
started helping Harrison really sort of get get Strive in a position where we could start to scale it because at the time it's just a small team all just very much focusing on billing. Um, so I focused on like making sure we had the right CRM, um, getting all the processes in place, all the procedures, and getting the business in a position where we could start to scale it. Started focusing on hiring an ops manager um, who could then really help sort of get the business ready for us to yeah really start pushing on. Um, and then yeah we moved uh, moved Strive into its own space. Because this sort of became a bit of an us and them culture with Strive and Insight because we're doing two very different markets. The fees on Strive were so much higher than Insight. Um, it, it, there was, whilst everyone got on very well, it was very much an us and them kind of yeah. um, culture, uh, atmosphere. So we decided to separate the two. Um, and then, yeah, yeah, after like a few months of focus on that, I just decided that I wanted to focus 100% of my efforts with Strive. And me and Sean agreed a deal. Um, and yeah, I, I parted ways with Insight and then focused 100% with Strive. We cool. brought um, Alex and John then joined us. I was going to say, when did they join you for the final bit of like context? So officially, um, we just like over the last couple of months officially like announced it and signed all the deals. There were um, there was a lot of um, a lot of conversations that were going on for months, but in terms of us actually putting pen to paper, that's been quite a, a recent thing. But they've helped massively over the last few months in terms of. Yeah, getting the business ready for for you know and and capable of, of then scaling. So we started talking with them. I think it was around January um, January of last year. I think it was. Okay, so let's break this down a bit. So what I'm definitely keen to go into, uh, Adam, is the the whole scaling part because you've mentioned that a couple of times on getting it ready to scale and these types of things. Yeah, and I'm, I'm sure you have some knowledge or aware, but the majority of the UK recruitment market is sub 10 staff, right? Yeah. And whenever I've spoken to recruitment business owners that do scale and grow a profitable, profitable recruitment business that goes beyond that, what I've always found is common is that they might be a, not that the head council is the best measurement, right? But let's just say I'm at 10, you're at 10 now. Like a lot of people that stay in around that and always get to 15, then back to 10 and sort of fluctuate, which is really common from the messages that I get and these types of things. It's been really common that those that scale and go beyond that actually have the mindset of where this is where we are now, but what we're implementing and what we're having in place and our mindset is that we're already a 30 person company. Um, so when you say getting ready for scaling, what does that actually mean? Like what's actually involved or what are the sort of key things there that you've invested in and no doubt John and Alex have helped you shape and put together yeah. on getting you ready to scale. Yeah. So if I think it was, so first and foremost, Alex and John, if you look at what they did from two to 140 full time, you know, absolute dominant market leader in their space, uh, over a hundred million turnover sold for a, a healthy sum, shall we say, and got their what a lot of people call you that their, their fuck you money kind of thing. <laughs> so the, the proven track record, and you know they, they they've they've got the you know they've got the the, the, the experience to, to do it. In terms of what we've been doing, um, is you know operationally making sure that the business is is ready to go. Just everything from all the back office processes, procedures, the training, documentation, um. You know, Helen has been amazing. Like since she's joined, and who's Helen? The transformation of the business. Uh, you know, everything's got a place. Everything's got a process. Everything is organised. You know, the team know where they're at. 
They know, you know, everything just runs really, and, really. And who, who's Helen? Sorry, Adam. Who? What's her job title? Helen. She's our ops manager. Um, so she, she, she's been like an absolute game changing hire for us. She's worked for John and Alex before. Um, so, so that's that's what I again quite common, and you don't really hear often. How many recruitment businesses of ten people, eight people, sub ten have an operations manager? Yeah. So yeah. why why if I'm listening right now, why should that be on my roadmap of hires? You said like just like this sort of real core sell of you need to get an operations manager sooner rather than later. Like why is that important and why has that massively helped you? So, so if you think most small business owners wear a lot of hats, and that's like one of the downfalls and things that holds them back. They're trying to do too much. So the reason that we brought Helen on was because she's so good at the operational side like her organization attention to detail is just like phenomenal and taking that responsibility away from me and Harrison has allowed me and Harrison to focus on other areas of the business so when when she's joined my then focus was recruitment so I spent three months to like solidly recruiting we set the bar really high and um, to hire three new trainee consultants develop them, push them on. And then just before the pandemic, we were about to push the button again and start hiring another three. So that's why, you know, having someone of Helen's experience, you know, was probably a bit premature for where the business was, but how much that's helped the business has been like, I can't even describe it. Um, so, what, so when we that, say, so like, just to make it really clear for people, because I think this is the part of that, like, as you just said, a bit premature, but it's, it's not premature if you know where you're going or what the intentions yeah. are, right? So when we say, so obviously, as you're saying, it's enabled you to just focus on the parts that you're good at, you and Harrison, your strengths, recruitment, selling, winning clients, revenue generating activities. Yeah. So are we talking, she's helped you with, what, like, what is the typical thing that she'll help with? Is it like terms of business? Yeah. Is it Anything like, that's not sales related. Okay. Anything that doesn't involve picking up the phone or delivering to a job um, or like... Um, I suppose, internal recruitment. She's helped with internal recruitment in terms of the process and our approach, but in terms of actually doing it. But anything else is uh, Helen Helen deals with it. I have to ask Helen more about Strive than the guys ask me. Um, yeah, she, she's literally got the business in a position where it's ready to, to, to scale. The next key hire we were we were just started looking at, and we'd, we'd actually found someone was an internal recruiter to come in full-time. Uh, and focus purely on recruitment but um i suppose from a we, we missed a target that we wanted to, to to hit financially um which sort of set us back a little bit to think you know maybe this is just a, that little bit too premature and then obviously the pandemic hit um but that was the next key hire that we were going to focus on was having someone focusing 100 percent on internal recruitment so that i could then continue focusing on sales and development of people because the recruitment piece just took up all my time the internal recruitment piece. Yeah, until we'd, we'd obviously hired the people. But those game-changing hires, um, you know, so many people, after we hired Helen, so many people that had, like, worked for me and gone and set up on their own, or, like, Sean as well, and rang to say, like, you know, what's the situation with, with, with Helen? Like, it's, you know, it's a, a big hire, and there's only, like, six of you. Um, and, yeah, it was a big, like... I'd recommend it to yeah, anyone. Because it's because it's the you're hiring Helen and she's not going to make you money, but she is. She, if you she, get what I mean? Yeah. On the face of it, it's like Adam, why why are you hiring that person? Because like it's they don't generate any revenue. But yeah. 
actually they do because it enables it enables you to it's about viewing your time what your what what's most valuable for you to spend time on and let's be frank she's better at that than the bet what she does she's 10 times better at it than i am um okay she does the does the job better. Someone's going to try and poach her off the back of it. <laughs> um, no, I, do, I just but, think that's really interesting because it, that ties into the whole premature thinking where you want to be and the highs that are going to enable you to do that rather than now we'll get someone in like Helen Monroe, 20 people, don't really need them now. Do, do you know what I mean? So that, that was one of the, I think one of the our biggest weaknesses at Insight was not having that person. We'd grown quick, um, but I think where the business fell down was the fact that it was a bit like organized chaos. Um, and I think if we had someone like Helen in place there, yeah, we could have, have achieved a lot more. And that's the thing. If you are planning to grow and scale your business, don't put that off. Get that in sooner and, and it'll enable you to grow. So what I'd be really keen to talk about, because I feel like it would have impacted a lot of things like influencing your culture, sort of your mindset, the, the decisions that you've made. But... Um, so John and Alex getting involved in the business. Yeah. The t- oh, look, I'm sure you you would have had your own opinion before. Obviously, it's great that you, obviously you knew them before you got to that stage. But the typical, from from what I've gathered from speaking to recruiters on this podcast and through what I do and stuff, the typical perception of uh, someone that can invest in Adam Richardson and Harrison, the recruitment uh, entrepreneurs, is that if you go down that route, that they're going to own your business. And they might take complete control or there's just it from, from what I can see, there isn't the best reputation around people that invest in recruit in, in recruiters, start their own business from, from what I can see. So I guess why don't we just talk a bit about that? Because I don't know what your perception was before. If that if you had any of that, I'm not sure they'll take over them. We won't have any, I don't know, but like, what has it actually been like having, yeah, two people that have walked the walk, um, that have actually invested in your in the recruitment business. Yeah. So after leaving Liquid, and never had any form of external help, uh, investment, anything. Me and Harrison pretty much just did it all ourselves. Um, and it never really crossed our mind to get investment um, or some, not necessarily investment, but external people in to, to help us help us grow the business. And when when we was Speaking with Alex and John, it wasn't like a financial thing. It was more about what they bring to the table. Okay. In terms of fear of someone taking over your business, then surely like that comes down to the commercial agreement that you have in place, whether they're in a position to do that. Um, and if the kind of people you're bringing into the business, you've got worry of them doing that, then they're probably not the right kind of people you want involved. But having someone like John and Alex on board is just it, – it's been great. It's been a completely – big change to how we work you know Alex and John hold me and Harrison accountable they're not our bosses but then they won't shy away for saying listen you need to pull your finger out or you're not doing this right or you and, said you and, and how does that work Adam because I think that's one of the most that's one of the I'm, I feel like you said that first so I feel like that's one of the big benefits right so yeah. how does that actually work is that that you have like a quarterly board meeting and you're like right guys this is where we're at this these are our goals for the next quarter whatever and then you obviously openly communicate this is where you're at this is where you want to go and if you don't hit those certain things they're going what, what's going on why haven't you done it blah 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 like what, how does that actually work that accountability yeah so we we meet weekly 
um, weekly management meeting where we discuss all the sort of ongoing sort of day-to-day stuff. We've got uh, monthly board meetings, quarterly um, like business reviews kind of thing. So we, we meet regularly. John and Alex are on the end of the phone every day um, if, if they want to be. They're not like, they don't micromanage. They're not breathing down on neck. They're there purely as a support framework. That's it. You know, they have a share in the business. That They're directors in the business. They have, you know, it's in their interest that we do well. But they're not, I think if you've got an ego and you can't see yourself having to answer to anyone, then you might have a problem. But if you can set your ego aside and think, you know what, if Alex gives me a bollocking, or not a bollocking, but says, like, calls me out, he's doing that to help us both. Mm. Um, and we've not had that situation. He's called me out on something saying, Adam, you said you'd do that, but you've not. And same with Harrison. Um, and he can be pretty heavy handed at times, <laughs> but it, it's, it's in all of That's our part interest. of it. Yeah. So, yeah. accountability, what, what else have they had a big impact on? So, their, their experience, you know, the lessons they've learned from and, and, you know, said, you know, this is what happened to us and this is why we changed. And the same from my experience with Insight, lessons that I learned from there. So, their experience. Also, like confidence, like you know, I was really proud of what I did with Insight uh, with 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 Sean, um, but also like having someone like John and Alex in your corner just really gives you that, that sort of confidence to sort of really know that you can push on and, and achieve what a lot of people set out to achieve. You know, they've got this big plans of an international recruitment business, but like you said, most of them are sub ten. Having someone like John and Alex in your corner gives you that confidence. To, to, to do it um, it's also given us a bit of flexibility and, and knowing that we've got the resources um, financially if we if we wanted to be really ambitious or if we face really like tough times it's sort of nice to have that as a sort of safety blanket as well um, but I think we're really lucky we were like John and Alex pretty much shaped both man and Harrison's very early careers like they've had so much of an influence on us from such an early stage we're so fortunate to be in the position where we are now, where they're now helping us, you know, 10 years down the line. Whereas a lot, I know a lot of relationships with investors isn't always like that. Isn't always like that, yeah. Um, so I think our situation is quite unique. Um, yeah, I think the confidence piece is really interesting because that can filter into so many positive things, can't it, as a recruitment yeah. business I mean, owner? If, if, if you, you know, if you're bringing in, it depends what your reason is for bringing in, you know, someone like John and Alex on board. You know, you're doing it because they add value from their experience or you're just doing it because you need the money. You probably need to reconsider, you know, am I prepared to give up my share in the business and having a complete control for the sake of a a cash injection that I need or something along those lines? I think you need to think about your why. Um, Mm. And if you don't need to get someone external and you've got other ways of raising capital or whatever it is, you should consider them. But having John and Alex on board is is great yeah. and anyone that's looking to start up or they've already started up and feel like they've plateaued and they want to push on I, I can't recommend both of them enough so just a couple of things on this then before i ask you the last couple of questions what i'd love for you to just sort of do some key points on so you've said around the hiring of helen the operations person what other things do you think what other decisions have you made or things that you've actioned do you think wouldn't have happened if John and Alex weren't involved? Um, one of the, the so one of the things that Alex and John got really renowned for was their training program at Liquid. Um, they won awards for it, 
And one of the things I did a lot of insight was training, but it wasn't as very, it wasn't as structured and formalized. So one of the first things that we put together was, um, well, first of all, was our recruitment process. We absolutely nailed our recruitment process. We're talking when you're dealing with clients, clients and candidates or no, internal? Internal recruitment. Okay. So yeah, um, first one was our internal recruitment process to make sure that we, we really set the barrier really high. I mean, I interviewed 100 people to get to hire one. Wow. Um, so, so the first, my time, so, yeah. So the first thing is, really, if, if they hadn't got involved, that would have continued. I would have continued hiring the way that we hired at Insight. And whilst we had some amazing people, there was a few bad ones that slipped through the net. It's, it's what you said. It's, it's, it's just, it's actually having a process. It's yeah. actually that you wouldn't have put in a process. You would have just kept being reactive or doing what you do. Yeah. So the first thing is the in, internal recruitment process. That's interesting. What else? And. Uh, training and development we literally are our training and development is, is is great considering the size of the business and the maturity of the business where we're at the training and development program that we've got and ask ask the, ask the guys what their experience has been like uh, you know Ed who's worked at another recruitment business before director X that, that have seen it and it, it's really good and genuinely delivers on the promises that I know a lot of recruitment agencies promise consultants when they join that you'll get trained and developed and supported um, I know that you know genuinely I'm delivering on those promises so it, it, to give you an idea all the three that we hired at the back end of last year um, Ed had some sort of recruitment experience but it wasn't the 360 kind of recruitment so they all came in as trainees um, and all you know all hit the all smashed the, uh, passed the probation, all hit the first um, promotion and have all smashed the revenue targets um, in their first six months in the job, Okay, which, you know, they've all been given the tools and the skills to, 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 to do it. So first thing was recruitment process. Second thing was our um, training and development. Um, and again, making program. that process and actually making that more official compared to, okay. So just a quick one on that, Adam, you said, considering our size or whatever and that that's my question really because if i'm in a small business like how much training and development can i actually deliver because i think that's where sometimes people think that they can't they they can't like how can i make that into a proper training development program like they sit next to me they listen to me do you know what i mean so like how can you offer development to someone who's in a business of the size of yours like what does that actually look like so so let, let's be honest, like the, the, the sitting next to someone, listening and just getting that, soaking up the atmosphere is one of the best ways to learn, you know, just chucking someone in the deep end. They, they, they'll either sink or swim. But people have different learning styles. You know, some prefer classrooms, some prefer one-on-one -on -one coaching, some people prefer constant feedback. So when Helen joined, because of her ability to sort of just take something and process Systemize it, 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 yeah. Yeah, systemize it, operationalize it, whatever you want to call it. I just sat with Helen for a few weeks, just going through, taking our how we recruit, mapping it out, and thinking right how I would train every single aspect of the recruitment lifecycle, putting videos, call recordings, uh, training pro uh, scripts, absolutely everything you could think of, uh, call coaching sessions, role plays, just everything that they would need to do so that by the end of the program they can they, they can recruit and they've got something to refer back to alex had a huge impact in that in terms of him helping scripting a lot of the stuff um, how long's the program um 
for them to it probably took us took us the first three months before they were all like sort of self-sufficient where you could give 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 a, one of the, the guys a, a role and say right here's a job you know the brief you're on the call with the client follow the process and at the end of it you'll you'll have some commission due love that so again we're talking about again this these are the types of things that now you've done that where you're at get get to the 30 stage or hire five people you know exactly what they need to go through whereas yeah. typically yeah okay alex said something to me he said the people run the process the process runs the business and that was it Wait, say that again. the people run the process the process runs the business so if if i say to one of the guys where are you at with the job and uh, that they're working on like getting an update on where they're at with some of the roles they're working i just say where are you at in the process and mm-hmm. they'll say i've done this done that done that and i'm here now and they'll know that by the time they get to the end of it, they should they should have multiple interviews on the job and it should be boxed off. Love that, mate. So we're talking a bit of like a 12-week program for them to be sort of close to being self-sufficient, but to work through all that content. And no doubt it's sort of ongoing. But yeah. so the next part of that then that I'm interested in, Adam, to get your thoughts on is then, so I joined your business, got this great training program, um, great. As you all know, one of the sort of main key motivators for a lot of people is, is development. Um, and making sure that I, I don't feel like I'm plateauing or whatever. So how, how have you as a small recruitment business owner that's growing, how can you offer that to me? Like how have you then processed or structured that? Is it just done on billings and promotions or like how have you then ensured that not only have you trained these people well, but you've then got a clear career development path? Yeah, so to be frank with Strive, it's still early days. Um, you know, none of the guys are really at that point where they're starting to like massively push on in terms of their role diversifying they're still in the first sort of 12 months as a recruitment consultant kind of role but in terms of how we promote it's based on revenue and then like values so they've got the skills and capability to do the next part of the role whether it's the business development account management or leadership um values you know do they demonstrate the values that we have um and what are the other things you put me on the spot here, but yeah, yeah, it's, okay. it's a com- combination of you know performance and behaviours and, and attitude. But have you have you mapped? Have you mapped? I guess what I'm just trying to ask you, just because I'm interested, is like, have you actually mapped out like? Because again, I feel like oh, smaller businesses. Path. Yeah, do you get what I mean? Because I feel yeah. like again, smaller businesses don't typically do that. Yeah, yeah. So we, we mapped out from literally coming in as an associate right the way through to the um, like VP of sales, sales director within the business. So we give that to the rector X um, or anyone that we approach directly and we'll talk them through all of the different stages from associate to, yeah, basically running the office. Do you think you would have done that if you didn't have John Alex involved? Um, they, they, they pushed it. We had it inside. Had it in mind, yeah. Yeah, Sean drove it a bit more. So at the end of every year, um, sorry, the end of every quarter or every six months, we would always do like a vision meeting where we would put up an organogram of the business and where the new roles are emerging because of our growth and how a new management role or a new division or a new market had appeared because of what the progress that we'd made. So it's something that we always did and Sean always did that really well. And we always found that off the back of those meetings, people, it given people a new lease of life because they'd say, oh, I want to do that. Um, and then so you knew that was important. Yeah, but I'd, I'd say to it definitely wasn't on my radar to do that within the first 12 months, but it was something that we used to help attract people. So that, uh, again, this, yeah, this, yeah, that's why I was just keen to get into that. Cause I think again, 
anyone that's listens that in a smaller business, it's like that. You again, it's that it's that like you want to think long term again and think this is where we are, but we're yeah. going to be here, and that's, that's so that's important. Yeah. Having that sort of big, bigger, bigger picture mentality, and not just focusing on what's in front of you, which I think me and Harrison did a lot of when we were younger. We were just making money, not thinking about anything long term. We're just thinking about how much can we make this month and how much can we go and spanner at the weekend. Whereas <laughs> now, now we're thinking a bit more about right longer term. Okay. So before we finish them, let's let's acknowledge the last twelve weeks, last three yeah. four months. Has I mean leading up to that, I don't know. Like, has it been? Has that been the most the biggest challenge so far? Since so, since since full time on Strive, going through the last 12, 16 There's weeks. two sides of it. From a work perspective, it's been tough. Um, and like, I'm not the most disciplined person. You know, you go on about like recruit uh, leaders having all this mindset. Like, I'm not that person. That's Harrison. Like, he's in the gym at five every day. So keeping yourself absolutely focused is not something I'm superly sort of super strong at. But work wise, has been really tough. Um, just because of, you know, it's been tough BD and, and trying to win business in a market that we're in now. From a personal perspective, um, I don't want this to be insensitive because a lot of people haven't, well, have sort of really struggled during the last few months, but it's been great. I've loved it. I've had, I've been gifted time. So been able to spend time in the garden, exercising, doing what I want to do. So it, it's been a bit of a sort of bittersweet. Work's been a bit crap, having to, furlough everyone and um you know is setting us back in terms of because we're on a really good we're on a good yeah, some really good momentum yeah. um but from a personal perspective I, i've really i think it's been a bit of a blessing in disguise for a lot of people mm. what's been the most difficult decision you've had to make so far then during the last 12 weeks mm. honestly I've, I've not we've not had to make any difficult decisions from from a business perspective when when so just before the lockdown i came back in on the monday we worked on the monday on the tuesday we came in and it started to get like it, it took a turn and i think people started to realize how serious it was all of our jobs were literally getting pulled 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 and it was a bit of a realization so the office next door had sent everyone home so we pulled everyone in the meeting and said listen guys we're taking the decision if you want to work from home from now you can and then they put everyone in lockdown on the thursday so we, we, we did that, but we, we made a pledge to everyone that we were going to do everything we can to, to make sure that no one lose the jobs. We, we cut all of our costs back. We negotiated good deals with our suppliers. Me and Harrison cut our wages back and we did everything you know, to, to secure everyone's roles. So we've not had to make any, any difficult decisions because of the pandemic, um, touch wood. So it's, we've not had to do anything like that yet. And then how, because I think a lot of people found, obviously have ended up having to focus on business development. Yeah. What's your journey been like with that? I know when we spoke a couple of weeks back that, um, yeah, you, I remember because at the beginning it was like, yeah, I'm literally being told like, Adam, how are you calling me about hiring? Like, how are you doing that? So like, so, I, I, and I'm sure that's changed now because I think it's, we've been through that journey in the last 12 weeks, haven't we, where it's been like, Adam, why are you calling me and talking to me about recruitment, full stop? To now it's like, okay, just way more acceptance and understand this is a long thing for in for a while. So guess what? How have you navigated through that on a business development standpoint? Because I think a lot of people yeah. can relate to that and get sort of value from that. So the first, so the last few weeks of March, 
we pretty much just took it off. Um, I didn't do anything. Um, we all just like just chilled out, took stock, and then got back in around the first week in April. First week, I was just ambulance chasing, just hunting for jobs. And someone said to me, "This ambulance chasing approach, Adam's not going to work. We're not hiring." And when when they said that, me and Harrison sat down. I was like, "Mate, we're wasting our time." Go because all of our clients had stopped recruiting, so we had to find new clients. So bringing a new client cold, yeah, for jobs in a flipping health pandemic, we were pissing in the wind. So that's when we decided to do the webinars. And every single call from there, I'm not calling about recruitment. I can help you. And then six weeks of that, we started to build relationships with new people. And some of those clients now um, have started to give us work and starting to having conversations about working together. Um, so we just changed the conversation that we were having. But it took about a week for us to realize that. Um, and now for the last three weeks, we've started to see you know, conversations, jobs coming through, um, and I suppose light at the end of the tunnel. Mm. But yeah, it was, yeah. That's smart. We just changed the, yeah. If you've, if you've spent the last few months really jobs and you're still, you know, you've not thrown yourself off a bridge, like (laughs) fair play to you. (laughs) Because I was at the end of my tether after a week. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, So look, you've been in the, the game for a while like and obviously access to to, to obviously John and Alex have been in, in the industry for a while as well like what what does the future look like for you like how are you thinking about the future of Strive like spoken to a lot of people around obviously the whole like flexible working piece and and sort of that's going to change but I don't know what what does what does the sort of future or what are the things are you thinking about sort of going into the next sort of quarter and beyond um, so at the moment, like we've, we've, we've refocused our short-term goals just to sort of try and get us through this period. Uh, the long-term goals stayed the same. In terms of changes in how we work, at the moment, we've, we've reduced the hours that we're working slightly just so that we're not burning ourselves out. Um, but in terms of how we think things will change, I think the people are going to have a lot more flexibility because it's proven that people working from home works. So what, what, what side of the fence on was you before? I, I was always getting the office. Harrison's old school, like Wall Street boiler room, you know, get in the office, yeah. Militant, and I'm the opposite. So like, you know, he'd still be in a three-piece suit if he had it his way. <laughs> um, whereas I'm 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 the opposite. So I was always a bit more liberal, shall we say. Fair enough. Okay, that, um, I think that's gonna be interesting, isn't it? Yeah, I think. I think because Harrison's so far one side and I'm so far the other, we always end up sort it's of in the middle of the compromise. The guys, the guys get treated like grown-ups. We'd always treat anyone that come in like grown-ups. You know, if someone wants to work from home and they've got a, a genuine reason for it, then yeah, go for it. If, if you can't trust people to do stuff like that, then why have you hired them in the first place? And if they've broken that trust, then they probably shouldn't still be in the business. Mm. Yeah, no, I think that that's going to be interesting because I think... I think it's just going to make recruitment businesses just evolve differently or open up to the type of people that they can potentially hire. I think it's just going to change a lot, isn't it? And I think if you're a recruitment business that still wants people in five days a week in the office, blah, 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 I think you're going to be missing out on, on a lot of people because now, now the before it was a nice to have, before it was like, look, Adam, what's your view on flexible working? Is that something that Strive does, blah, blah, blah. But now... If you were to just go like, no, we don't, we don't do that. 
they're gonna, there's going to be a lot more businesses that now have that as part of their standards. Well, the company next door to us, they were at the end of their lease and they'd, they'd got a new office that they're moving into. They've scrapped the office and they've, everyone's working from home now. Really? So I know you've seen like the big Twitter and all that, like, you know, the big, big tech. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, but, you know, a small 20, 30 people office next door to us, they've done it. Um, so I think it's going to be, you know, the norm. But I also think that the the amount of remote working and people having to work from home in isolation has also took the shine off it. Mm. A lot of people are excited to get back in the office. Yeah, I definitely was. So, yeah, I, agreed. Yeah, I, I did nothing at home. And I, I didn't... <laughs> Honestly, I do an hour's work and then I go and sit in the garage and play with my bikes for a couple of hours or, you know, just sit and talk to the cat. distracted, yeah, yeah, yeah. To me, sat at home, like, if I can't do it and it's my own business, then... You know, <laughs> it's, it's one of those... We'll, we'll it's not for there. everyone, is it? Yeah. I guess... Yeah. So, la- last couple of things before I ask you the final question, Adam. Yeah. What What's helped you, like, resi- resilience during this period would have been one of the most important things right yeah what what's helped you sort of weather the storm and the the roller coaster over the last couple of weeks what's helped you personally like get through it yeah so one of the things that you sort of said before that was around mindset like I, i'm not the mindset kind of you know poster boy that that's harrison he's the guy that's gonna you know militant with his diet his exercise routine his you know all that kind of thing but um you know i'm quite a resilient person um but Normally, when things go sort of tits up, I go into self-destruct and just go and have a skinful somewhere. But and then Harrison <laughs> has to sort me out. But what's got me through the last few few um, few months or so is yeah, we've got a clear vision that we want to achieve as the business. But from a personal standpoint, I think there's nothing revolutionary here. It's just a lot of exercise. Like I'm massively into my biking, sort of motorbiking, push biking. I've just yeah, just kept kept myself fit. And that's what's got me through it. Um, and then from a work perspective, having him breathing down my neck saying, why aren't you in the office? Nice. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, okay. What are you most excited about post-COVID, mate? Pubs. <laughs> <laughs> no, Very no. soon. Um, honestly, so I've never want to sort of wish bad on anyone, but I think this whole pandemic is going to see a lot of shit leave the market. From a recruitment perspective, a lot of bad recruiters are going to try and find an easier way to make a living. So it's going to be better for clients because they're not going to be dealing with poor levels of service from recruitment for recruiters. And there's going to be more opportunity for those that survive. So like Churchill said, are you going through hell? Keep going. And I'm hoping that we keep going through this and we're going to come out the other side. There'll be less people in the market. And when, they, when we get the bounce back, there'll be more opportunity. So I, I think that, yeah, if you can survive this, and you can work through this, then I don't think there's going to be much that can test you um, in a commercial sense. Okay. Final question. Yeah. If Adam could communicate to every single recruiter out there, it could be a business owner, recruiter, they'd listen to your advice, they'd take it on, it could be a phrase, a sentence, a word. What would, yeah. you, say to, what would you say to the people? Right, I wish you'd have prepped me on this one, mate. He. <laughs> um, I think if, if you're starting out in recruitment, then 
you know, recruitment's a long-term thing. A lot of people come out of university and they see recruitment as a, as a, a get-rich-quick scheme. It's not. Like you do. You know, it takes a while. <laughs> one of the one of the examples that um, Sean always gave when we were hiring new people is when he started S3, it took him six months to do his first placement. And the second six months, he was, you know, he did really well. So you've got to really think about, you know, this is like a three, four, five-year plan if you really want to sort of smash it in recruitment from an earning potential. So don't think this is going to be a quick win and, and think about the long term. Everything that you're doing day to day is going to ultimately pay dividends. Um, so so yeah, you know, just keep, you know, think about think about it in the long term and don't think this is a, going to be a short term fix. Make sure that you've got some real goals that you're working towards. Um, I think if you've got something that you're working towards, it makes the day-to-day a lot more bearable. If I think about times when I've been disengaged and couldn't really be bothered with workers because I wasn't really working towards anything, I like to, like, if I put myself under pressure, like stretch myself financially or, or whatever it is, I, I work better. So, have, you know, put yourself under pressure and, and have, have clear goals. And if you're thinking about starting up your own recruitment company, um, give it a go. A bit ago, love that, Adam. It's been an absolute pleasure, mate. No worries. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. I really want to ensure this podcast remains valuable and relevant for all of you. If you have topics or questions you would love me to cover with future guests, then please get in touch with me. Best place to get me is on LinkedIn. Just search Hishimazoos and drop me a message. I would love to hear from you. Finally, if you have two minutes, it would be greatly appreciated if you could leave an honest review for the podcast. It will simply mean that I can reach more people with this podcast. You can easily leave a review for the podcast by clicking the link in the episode notes or by going to ratethispodcast.com forward slash rollercoaster. Thank you again for listening.